Hello and welcome to On Point, a podcast series of fresh thinking on the big topics for corporates and institutions. I'm Jim McCormick, Global Head of Desk Strategy, and this is a special Year Ahead edition. Uh, my name is Avi Kualwasser, and I run U.S. Dollar Rate Sales. Thank you very much for joining us today for our Year Ahead view on global rates. Let me introduce you to today's panel. Uh, we have Blake Gwynn, Head of U.S. Rates Strategy, Giles Gale, Head of European Rates Strategy, Theo Chapsilis, Head of UK Rate Strategy, and Imogen Bakra, Senior European Rate Strategist. Let's start with the U.S. Blake, for 2021, you're looking for a steeper U.S. curve. But let's face it, over the last few months, we've had some pretty major developments in the U.S. between the election, vaccine breakthroughs, treasury supply, this next round of COVID, and then most recently yesterday, renewed stimulus talks. And somehow tens have struggled to break out of their range. Uh, we are currently at the high end of the post-COVID range, but we're still inside it. Five thirties are at hundred and just under 130 bips, and they've traded pretty regularly between 120 and 130. So if all these developments haven't been able to break us out of these ranges, how do we get there? Yeah, thanks, Avi, and um, you know, thanks to all the clients that are dialed in. Um, you know, as you said, we do have bear steepening forecast for 2021, but I think historically speaking, um, it's fair to say that what we have forecast is still a relatively modest move. We have year-end 2020 tens at uh, 140. We have 530s at 150 basis points. So this is not, you know, kind of a, a massive paradigm shift in the way that we saw in 2016 after, say, the Trump election. Um, but still, you know some uh, uh, bear steepening nonetheless. Um, to your question about how we get from here to there, I think that's a very key question next year because what we've actually forecast in the way of bear steepening is largely backloaded in the second half. I think the first half is still going to be a, a lot more of the struggle that you were kind of discussing there, where we have a number of crosswinds that are all kind of mingling together and potentially canceling each other out to some degree. So what are these crosswinds we see? Um, let's start with the two main factors we see that are pushing rates higher. Uh, one is vaccines. Uh, obviously, you know, the, the, there's been a lot of news in the past few weeks. Hopefully, um, you know, we're going to start to see distribution of these vaccines Q1 of next year, you know, potentially seeing uh, uh, some level of herd immunity possibly by next summer. Um, you know, this should allow some gradual return to normalcy, uh, boosting consumer confidence, um, hopefully some spark for pent up demand. Uh, particularly in the services sector, which, you know, up to now has really taken a lot of the brunt uh, of this current crisis. So that's something that uh, uh, I think could really lead to to some pretty strong risk uh, sentiment uh, and consequently sell off in yields and, and some steepening of the curve. Second, um, we do still have a supply on the table. Um, you know, continued supply is going to keep putting upward pressure, uh, particularly at the long end, where I think a lot of the supply over the next year is really going to weigh. Um, there was a lot of focus on supply in 2020 uh, because, you know, Treasury was aggressively boosting auction sizes throughout the year. But in reality, I actually see 2021 as a, a much greater potential wave of Treasury coupon supply. Um, and, and that's even with my expectation that Treasury is done boosting coupon auction sizes for now. We got one last round in November. And then I think basically through the entirety of 2021, they basically keep coupon supply uh, uh, where it is. But even still, um, you know, even, even with those steady auction sizes, uh, what's already kind of built into the current calendar, given all the, the increases they did in the prior years, 
um, you know, the pace of issuance is just going to be a lot higher this year. Um, so, so all the kind of increases that we did last year and, and that we were focused on in 2020 are really going to start hitting uh, uh, in, in 2021. Just for context, um, Treasury's coupon issuance. So uh, when I say coupons, I'm referring to tips, nominals, FRNs. Uh, that was running at a pace of about $670 billion per quarter pre-COVID. 2021, I have that more uh, uh, in the 1.1 trillion range. So, so really just a, a massive increase in kind of that run rate of treasury supply, uh, even without that, that change in auction sizes. Also, I think you need to consider here that um, the Fed is likely going to be buying a lot smaller portion of that uh, uh, supply than they did in 2020. In 2020, they took out almost uh, uh, roughly two trillion of coupon supply out of the markets. Uh, a lot of that was came in March, April, and May when um, you know they really stepped in in a very strong way uh, uh, to, to counteract some of the uh, liquidity breakdown that we saw in markets. Uh, I think they're going to continue purchasing through 2021, uh, and that's something I'll touch on in, in just a second. But um, it's going to be at a, a much more steady pace. We're not going to see that kind of period that we had in March and April where they were just coming in every single day and wiping a lot of supply out of the market. So, so those two things kind of combined together, the, the net supply that the market's actually going to see uh, in 2021 is bigger than 2020. Uh, kind of looking on the other side and, and some of the factors we see pushing uh, against the rise in rates. Um, first, I think we have to address the current COVID outbreak. Um, I don't think we really know yet how bad this is going to be. Uh, you know, we're, we've still yet to see what the fallout from holiday travel and kind of this return to cold weather that's pushed a lot of the activity that over the summer had moved outside back indoors. Uh, we don't really know how bad that's going to be, but I think this is something that's obviously going to weigh on risk sentiment and yields in Q1. Um, and, and even beyond Q1, the extent of the, the damage and the scarring that we're going to see from this current outbreak um, you know, could weigh on growth and inflation even into the second half. So something we're keeping an eye on that, that I think uh, could push back against any rise in, in yields or steepening the curve. Um, we also, I think at the same time, are not going to have the same level of fiscal support that we had in 2020 to, to counteract uh, uh, you know, that, that fallout from the current outbreak. In 2020, we um, got a very, very strong fiscal response in the form of the CARES Act. Um, and in our opinion, that's one of the primary reasons that we saw the quick rebound and resilience in the U.S. economy that we did in, in 2020. But now, um, you know, after the election, it looks like a divided government's most likely. Um, but even if Dems, uh, the Democrats defy the odds, take both of the Georgia seats that are going to be up in January, um, we're still very pessimistic on any kind of uh, a large scale fiscal stimulus getting through uh, and really aiding us in the way that it did in 2020. So that's something else that, that I think is, is really going to weigh on our expectations, dampen uh, any increase in yields, dampen any bear steepening that we see in 2021. Uh, and lastly, and this is a really important one, uh, we don't think the Fed's going to allow uh, a massive sell-off or steepening of the curve, especially if it's not coinciding with a clear and fundamental improvement in the economic outlook or, or a pickup in realized inflation. Um, so kind of summing all those up, we've got vaccines, uh, return of the consumer and services sector, supply, uh, uh, all pushing rates up. But at the same time, we've got the fallout, fallout from the current COVID surge, weak fiscal support, and, and the Fed pushing rates down, um, or, or at least keeping them them somewhat contained. Um, and I realize all that sounds fairly negative and, and you might look at all that and say, well, well, how do you end up with higher yields and a steeper curve by the end of the year? But um, 
I think the price action will really be the, the price action that we're expecting is really going to be a story for the second half. Um, I, I think by the time we get to the second half, you know, hopefully you're getting towards that uh, herd immunity. The current uh, the current outbreak that we're dealing with is going to be in the rearview mirror. Hopefully we'll be well on our way to recovery. Um, and I think that's going to allow the Fed to start feeling a little bit more comfortable uh, with allowing yields to start to gradually rise. So, so that's really um you know, most of that forecast that we have for 2021 is backloaded into the second half. Hey, Blake, thank you very much. That's a great overview of the U.S. market. But we still do need to talk about inflation. There's a growing consensus among all our customers that inflation really is going to be the key driver of rates markets for 2021. Theo, uh, you wear multiple hats. In addition to being the U.K. rate strategist, you're also our inflation strategist. What's your view there? And what are the, the opportunities and tips in an inflation markets? I think, first of all, the, the, the tips market has been a very tricky market. Usually we observe it and usually it is cheap. Usually it is cheap to inflation expectations. What we see now is a market that doesn't trade so cheap. So when we compare tips valuations to where they were a year ago, we can find, for example, the five-year, five-year uh, being at 100 basis points higher than where it was in March. So uh, th- there's been a significant repricing. We have seen more clients, more investors being interested in the asset class, and this has reflected into more expensive pricing. We think that the opportunity is at the front end of the curve. And the reason why the opportunity is at the front end of the curve is because we believe that there will be a rebound of inflation in the price sense in the COVID-sensitive um, prices. So basically items that have been negatively impacted by the COVID disruption, those items and the prices of those items will pick up in 2021. So this is where you will get a selective uh, appreciation of prices. We think that inflation will rebound uh, strongly, significantly, and at some point we may even reach uh, 3% next year. That would be headline uh, CPI. Base effects obviously play a part um, of that move. Uh, nevertheless, we think that there will be more support for the asset class, specifically at the front of the curve. And this is where there is the real opportunity. Let's switch gears to the UK. What do you see for rates in the UK next year? So in terms of the level of yields, uh, we think that we will be at uh, 0.2% for 10-year uh, guild yields. Uh, this may not look particularly exciting, but we need to explain what's going on. We think that the Bank of England, despite a lot of discussion on negative rates, that they will not necessarily cut negative. However, we think that a lot of support will be given to the guild market through QE. And we need to emphasize that the UK market is the only market where we're bullish. In fact, we think that 30-year rates will end up around 30 basis points lower than the current levels. So we've got a flattening bias on the curve. Uh, and we think that uh, somebody should position at the back end of the curve to benefit from QE support and negative uh, net supply into 2021. How about inflation? How does the UK inflation view differ from your US view? Yeah, the UK inflation market is usually a market that trades uh, either expensive or very expensive, whereas the US market tends to trade either cheap or very cheap. And right now, the U.S. market actually seems to be trading close to fair. So investors should definitely be puzzled. Now, the U.K. inflation market has obviously cheapened substantially, but isn't it a time to buy it? 
Well, we think that the back end of the curve is interesting in terms of real rates, not necessarily break-evens, real rates. So we think that this is where investors should position. Um, by contrast, the front end of the curve uh, in terms of inflation, we think that that is probably not so appealing to put either position, either long or short, actually. Why that? Well, we think that if you were to play the rebound in global inflation, you need to do that in, for example, in the U.S., the U.K., in the U.K., the bar is already high. Do you want to position uh, and, and, and be short inflation at the front end of the curve? Well, this is very much a view on Brexit. Do you want to take a punt on Brexit? Well, this is probably not, uh, you know, the best way to do that. You can do that through, through, through other ways. So this is why we think that the opportunity in U.K. inflation is really in real yields at the back end of the curve. That's great. Thank you very much. Uh, let's shift gears to Europe. Europe is actually our strongest directional call, but it suffered from things like monetary dominance and low volatility for much longer than the US or the UK. Giles, what gives you that confidence to have such a strong view there? Yeah, I mean, as you say, we think that bonds are in the wrong place in Ah, okay, fine. So yeah, they're in the wrong place entirely. Um, and the first thing I want to say is that I don't think, you know, maybe this is a confusing thing for people to hear, but I don't think that's because of the COVID crisis, particularly. It was actually 2019 that went, rates really went off the rails and COVID just kind of put the correction on hold. And now if we think back to then, two things happened. The first, in, from a European perspective, is that we slid back into a kind of liquidity trap mentality as growth slowed. Um, but the real froth was because markets panicked and you know, the, 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 they thought that the policy response would be much, much deeper cuts because QE, there's no way you could do more of that. And that now looks really unlikely. And you know, something we've been repeating a lot in, uh, in recent discussions is you know, the, the December meeting for the ECB, if they don't cut then, when are they going to do it? Uh, but the, the, you know, the market persists in, uh, in pricing and cuts. But I think that also, if the liquidity trap kind of mentality, you know, if that starts to unravel, then there is a lot to correct. And, you know, we just argued in a separate webinar earlier this afternoon that the market might actually be due a surprise that inflation isn't as dead as it thinks, um, not least because we have such a push from the demand side on, on fiscal policy. Um, but that's not the only thing that matters for Bunds. I mean, one question I think people should be asking themselves seriously this year is, you know, if equities do badly, what's your upside really in bonds? And you know, I think rates now add almost no diversification and you know, no yield either. And so I think you know, the logical consequence is people shouldn't want as much of them. Um, you know, finally, I'll just add that in terms of raw, uh, raw yield from almost any perspective, bonds are perhaps the most expensive asset in the world. And this is something that moves hundreds of billions of, of euros a year. Um, I think that matters. And on the supply side, just because flows are such a focus, I'll just say that we actually think it's unlikely that the market will feel as squeezy as it did in 2016, 2017. And I think that is also a market concern. Now, Blake pointed out that in the U.S., our view is that the Fed is going to resist curve steepening. How do you feel about that with the ECB? Well, I think it's clear that the ECB will keep all the, the flexibility that it can precisely to be able to lean into market volatility. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that it will 
resist higher rates, but less if it's justified by fundamentals, which is our expectation. And you know, I don't think that slightly higher uh, long-term rates um, developing over the course of next year will be likely to be seen as a problem. So compared to the way that, uh, that Blake was talking about U.S. rates, um, in, in where in Europe, fiscal support is really the key driver for, for a large part of your view. So what, what does that tell you for the U.S.-European spread? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, this is one point of difference, I think, between uh, what we're thinking about Europe and what we're thinking about the US. And I think there's clearly much more of a possible, uh, possibility to be surprised in Europe, both on the fiscal side and on you know, what that means for, for inflation. You know, as I say, European expectations have kind of been so browbeaten and Nabuns just seem to be expecting this rising tide of QE for forever. Um, and I've already mentioned the likely international investor preference for, for U.S. rates. And so, yeah, overall, I think that U.S.-Europe is, um, is a trade that can actually do quite well in a rally, but uh, also in the differentiated recovery story that, um, that's our base case. Italy, Italy was really uh, possibly the, the biggest story um, in European rates last year, and, and you guys called it perfectly. Clearly... Uh, there's not as much opportunity, and, and as the spread is tightened in um, over the course of this year, what do you think the opportunities are in periphery this year, and, and what's your call in Italy specifically? Yeah, thanks, Avi. I mean, being bullish periphery, and, and Italy in particular, was one of our big calls for 2020, uh, and you know it did rally significantly, but we do think that think that there's still further to go. So we're heading into 2021, still long BTBs versus bunds at 10-year. Um, clearly, we're not expecting the kind of size of the moves um, in 2021 as we've seen in 2020. Uh, we expect it to be more of a kind of stead, steady grind tighter. Um, but we do see, uh, you know, scope for further tightening, driven, to be honest, by, you know, a couple of main factors that were really the big drivers in 2020 as well. You know, the political backdrop is much calmer. Politics in Italy and elsewhere in Europe are much more benign. You know, populists um, globally almost look to be in retreat. And there's still a huge amount of support from both the ECB and the EU Recovery Fund, which together really mitigate concerns about debt sustainability, we think, even in an environment where debt stocks have been, um, you know, increasing very rapidly. What are the other idiosyncratic stories that we should be watching in, in Europe? Politics? What, what are the stories that we should be keeping an eye on? Yeah, I mean, we always think about politics being so important in Europe. But I think actually in 2021, the important story here, particularly for spreads, is actually the kind of lack of political events on the calendar. And as I was saying just before, the, the much more benign political backdrop in Europe. Um, Germany could be the place to watch. There's the CDU elections early on in the year and then federal elections later on. Uh, but particularly those CDU elections may well be a barometer for um, you know, further appetite for fiscal policy, which is, is one of our key calls for this year. Um, Italy, we think, should avoid fresh elections ahead of the um, natural end of the legislature. And even in Spain, with potentially a, a budget under its belt, we think may well be able to avoid elections next year. Um, so we, the political backdrop is much calmer at a national level. 
um, at the European level, we'll be closely watching the, the recovery fund developments and, and any delays there or, or headlines around delays. Um, but I would say that our base case is that this does get passed um, and recovery fund issuance and, and support should start in the second half of next year. I hope you enjoyed this episode of On Point. Please do subscribe to our channel to get future episodes and like it as this will help others to find it as well. We also encourage you to follow us on social media to get all our latest content. Speak to you again soon.